You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. All right, if you're turning with me, I'm going to be in Ephesians 1 is where we're going to start. Today I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about your identity. Like really, who are you? If somebody walked up and asked you who you are, who are you, who, 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 who? If somebody asks you who you are, automatically we like to say, especially guys say like what they do. Hey man, who are you? Oh, I'm a mechanic. Like, did they say, what'd you do, or who are you? Because a lot of times we don't know who we are as people, but really in the spirit. Like, spiritually, a lot of us just don't know. And we used to know back when we were at home with God, but I think we, some of us have amnesia. We need to remember who we are. So I want to just talk for a few minutes this morning about your identity, who you are, and If you remember last week, uh, we talked about four things. In Christ, I'm forgiven. In Christ, I'm valuable. In Christ, I'm unconditionally loved. And in Christ, I trust in God's timing. So all of those things, those four things, those are like your four fingerprints, your identification in Christ, all four of those things are, that's, that's who you are in those things. And if you went and looked up, remember I gave you all some homework last week. I, I won't make you raise your hand on who did it. But I told you there was 35 times that, that the Bible says in Christ and it speaks to who you are or your identity in Christ, all those things. Um, so I know most of you went and studied that and looked it up and wrote a lot of notes on it and stuff. So we're not going to get hung up on that. But if you didn't, go check it out this week because there's a lot of cool places in your Bible that say, in Christ, I am blah, blah, blah. In Christ, I'm a son. In Christ, I'm a daughter. That's our identity in Him. Your identity comes from your Maker, not your circumstances, not your parents, not your past, not the abuse that you've been through, not good things you've been through, not bad things. You're, it comes from your Maker. So in Christ, the fact that I'm forgiven that I'm valuable, that I'm unconditionally loved, and, and I trust God, all of that is tied directly to who I am, spiritually. Your identity is not what you do, and it's not the labels that have been put on you. If you don't know who you are, you will try to find worth. You'll try to find love and acceptance. You'll try to find your place in the world, in people, and the things around you. And that's probably not going to turn out so good. But we do it all the time. Do you know you can't be a light? We're called to be the light of the world. Jesus said we're supposed to be salt and light. You can't be a light. Well, I guess you can be. 
but you're not going to be a very effective light if you're wearing around a dark costume, covering it up, putting on a mask. I read this story, um, and I'm probably going to leave out some of the details and stuff, so if you're interested, you want to go look it up, you can go check it out. You can just Google uh, Burger King Man or anything like that. And some of you may have heard the story, but this guy was found in the state of Georgia in 2004. He was found behind a Burger King uh, laying there naked with ant bites all over him, beat up real bad, unconscious. And one of the employees went out there to throw away some trash and notices this guy laying there. And so they run over and he's breathing. They call an ambulance. Ambulance comes, takes him to the hospital, and they, they doctor him up and they revive him and he regains consciousness and had no idea who he was where he came from he had no identification on him didn't even have any clothes on him they couldn't tell where he came from no one recognized him so as he healed up in the hospital they're thinking it would come back well his memory didn't come back He still had no idea who he was. He didn't know what he could do. He didn't know if he had a special set of skills. Who am I? What do I do? Where did I come from? Do I have family? Do I have children? Are there people looking for me? Am I even from the state of Georgia? Like, how did I end up behind this Burger King? Right? And it got to the point where he, like, physically he healed up enough to leave the hospital but didn't even know where to go. One of the nurses let him come stay at her house for a while to help him try to, like, figure it out. Um, He was on Dr. Phil trying to find his family. Like, hey, if anybody recognizes this guy, no response. He was in all newspapers. Anybody know who this guy is? Like, he didn't even know what his name was. He named himself Benjamin Kyle. And when reporters asked him, well, how'd you come up with that name? Did you remember? You think maybe that was your real name? Or, and he was like, no, it's just the initials of Burger King. Benjamin Kyle, like he had no clue. Can you imagine being a grown man and not knowing who you were? Hey, man, you want to come out here and play some softball? You any good? I have no idea. I don't know if I can throw her. I don't even know if I like that. You like sushi? I have no idea. He couldn't remember anything. You got kids? I don't know. Um, 11 years later, in 2015, through um, some DNA searches and investigators, found some people that they said he was related to. And that was the last, like, you can search on the web and the internet and stuff and try to find stories of this guy. And that was the last anybody heard of him was that he was flying out to wherever to meet the people that the investigators found that said he was his family. And then you never hear anything else about the guy, like, after he met him or he just kind of disappeared in 2015. But this guy went that long not knowing who he was. He didn't have a purpose He couldn't get an apartment or a house or a job. It was harder for him than, like, somebody that came from another country. Like, he he couldn't prove who he was or where he came from. had no identification. He didn't even know how old he was. Nothing. He had no purpose. He didn't know where he came from. And in the same way, 
If you don't know who you are in the Spirit, you won't be effective. You won't have power. You won't walk in the things that God has for you to walk in. If you, if you never know who you are, you never realize who you are or what you've been given or your identity in Christ, then you're just kind of like living life like, oh, man, I hope somebody helps me out. I'm not, I can't get a license or a house or a job or I don't know. That's not the kind of life I want to live. You have no confidence, you have no hope, you have no power. What you will have is some fear. You'll be afraid of what could happen or where did I come from or what did I do or what am I going to do or what's the future going to look like for me or how, why was I laying behind a Burger King beat up with ant bites on me? The world may never know. I don't want to end up like that. I want to know who I am. I want to be confident in who I am. Look at Ephesians, Ephesians 1.3. Look what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. <clears throat> Ephesians 1.3. How blessed is God? And what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master Jesus Christ. And takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had, se he had seated, settled, excuse me, settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving. By the hand of his beloved son. He adopted us. He wanted us to be part of the family. He made a way so that we could be in. He adopted you. It's easy for me to say me or for me to say us or kind of generalize it, but God, the creator of the universe, had a plan to adopt you. To be a child in his family. To be part of his family. The child doesn't get to pick. God adopted you. You've been grafted into the family. Another place in Scripture says it. We, we can see these examples all throughout Paul's letters to the church. You're part of the family. You've been grafted in. You're, you're a son. You're a daughter in Christ. Look at Genesis, um, Genesis 25. Now, we're talking about identity, and this is where things changed. I was going to talk about something different, but well, I'm having a hard time seeing this morning. So, 
when we talk about identity, always what, what pops into my mind is this story. Y'all remember Jacob? And we're going to talk about Jacob a little bit, but I want to look at Esau today. And there's not a, not a whole lot of messages on Esau, and I've never, I don't think I've preached a message about Esau. Y'all hear that? Possum behind the screen. <laughs> or bats. Okay, Genesis 25, verse 27. This is a story we know. We're going we're gonna to go through this real fast, and then I want to look at something that happens with Esau, but I just want to refresh your mind on what happens right here in this first part of the story. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Another place in the Bible tells us that he was hairy. or He was a hairy man. He was a good hunter, and he was hairy. So he was like one of the guys off Duck Dynasty. He could hunt good. He was real hairy. This was Esau. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. So Jacob was an inside guy. He liked to cook. We'll see here in a few minutes. And uh, he was smooth. It wasn't Harry. So you got Jacob and Esau, the two brothers. And Isaac, that was their dad, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah, the mom, she loved Jacob. So you got daddy's boy, that was a rough old hairy hunter, and daddy loved him because he'd go out and hunt meat and bring it in, and daddy loved to eat that meat. right? And then you got mama's boy, who was sweet, and he liked to stay in the tent, and he was smooth, and he waxed. And so you had mama's boy and daddy's boy, right? Okay, let's keep on reading here. Uh, verse 29, and Jacob sawed pottage. More pottage, please. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. So Jacob's in there cooking because he's good in the kitchen. All right, and his brother came in and he was faint from the field. He was tired. He was he was wore out. And Esau said, "Excuse me." Esau came in. He was tired. And Esau said to Jacob, "Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint." That word "faint" it it means exhausted. I'm exhausted. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, see, the little brother kind of sees an opportunity right now. Oh, man, he's starving. And I got this good pot of soup fixed up. Oh, here's my chance. Usually the big brother's always got the upper hand. But at this moment, the little brother's like, here's my chance. And this dude didn't just ask for like, hey, you cleaned my room for a week. This kid swings for the fence. He's like, nah, I'm taking this birthright. What? Ambitious little fella. <laughs> and Jacob said, little brother, sell me this day thy birthright. Okay, to us, we don't even fully understand the birthright, but the birthright was pretty much three things back then. And uh, the first one was, when dad dies, you were the ruler of the family. You were the next one in charge. So you get to tell everybody what to do. 
When dad's gone, I'm in charge. I make the rules. Don't matter if you like it or not. I'm in charge. That was the first thing of the birthright. The second thing of the birthright was you got a double portion of the inheritance. Right? So if we still did things that way, since I'm the firstborn and I have the birthright so that when my dad dies, it gets split up ten ways between all my brothers and sisters. We ain't getting much. That's too many ways to have to split it. But then to them back then, since I had the birthright and I was the firstborn, I get double what everybody else gets. I think it's a good deal. But anyways, you got double the portion of everybody else. And then the third thing that it was, was it was your identification. Saying that you were the firstborn son, it had a blessing from God like attached to your name, like you're the firstborn. You have authority to do things. You have authority to make decisions on the land. You have, so that's what it was. It was your ID. It meant you had a double portion. This was huge. This wasn't just some little thing. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. So, when he first came in, he was exhausted. And now, he's at the point that he's about to die if he doesn't get food. I'm going to die. I've got to do it. i got to sell the birthright. I'm going to die. Did you know that feelings will turn you into a drama queen? Your feelings will turn you into a drama queen quick, or as RJ would say, drama. A drama queen. Where is RJ? <laughs> Nursery. They'll turn you into a drama queen real quick. This was supposed to be the tough brother. This is old Harry hunting brother. This is I live off the land brother. And now he wants a bowl of beans so bad. <gasps> he's about to die. Give it to me. Take my birthright. That's what feelings will do to you. Feelings are convincing, but they are not reliable. If you're led by your feelings, stay away a little bit. You're going to be living a reckless life, and you're going to hurt yourself and everyone around you. Because there are going to be times when you feel like doing the wrong thing. You feel like acting like somebody you're not. You've, you, you get mad. You get upset. You get angry. You get hungry. You, and, and your feelings can convince you of anything. You believe you more than anybody. And I believe me more than anybody. If I didn't believe me, I would convince me or change what I'm saying to me. You see? <laughs> Can't be led by your feelings, so now he's about to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? What good's it going to do? I'm about to be dead. Starvation. Who needs a birthright? It's all over. And Jacob said, swear Pinky promise, swear to me this day, swear it, and I'll give you the beans. <laughs> and 
And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Dummy. He sold his birthright. He sold the blessing from God. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage. It better, I hope it was good. And lentils and beans. And he did eat and drink. And he rose up and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And guess what? His feelings went away. As soon as he ate, he wasn't hungry anymore. The feelings went away, but he sold who he was. He sold who he was born to be. He, we know from reading the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know that he sold his place in the story. In God's story. We would have been saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Right? For a feeling? And we sit here and say, what a moron. He's a, man, what a genius. Dummy. Right? And we do it all the time. We do it every day. For a feeling. We'll sell our birthright. We'll sell who God created us to be. We'll sell our sonship. Because I feel like doing this. Or I feel like looking at that. Or I feel like losing it on her. And you forfeit who you were created to be for a feeling that goes away. And after a while, you feel bad about it. So that's the part of the story that we know. Maybe we didn't know it quite in that way. But Esau, he gave up a lot right there for a feeling. Right? He gave up the blessing from God, the birthright from God. Now, if you fast forward a little bit, I won't read the whole entire thing, but if we fast forward like a chapter, something else happens between these two brothers. And usually we look at the part that just happened to Jacob, and then we go on and we talk about how awesome Jacob is and all that stuff. But I want to look at Esau because, honestly, I feel sorry for the guy. First of all, he did that dumb move. Now, if we, we fast forward up here to chapter Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, and it came to pass then when Isaac was old, their dad, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and he said unto him, my son. And he said unto him, behold, here am I. And he said, behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, which I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, and that my soul may bless thee before I die. So guess what? Now this was a big deal. His dad was going to give him the blessing. So he already gave up God's blessing, right? Like he already gave up his birthright to his little punk brother. But at least I can now get the blessing from dad. At least dad's going to bless me. And dad will give me some herds and some flocks and, and some power and some blessing because I am still the firstborn. I'm still his favorite son. And so what I can do now is obey my father. I'm going to do what he said to do. 
I'm not going to be a dummy and be led by my feelings anymore. I'm doing what dad said to do, and Jacob's not going to trick me this time. So he gets his bow, and he goes out to do what dad said to do. Uh Uh-oh. Son and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. They went deer hunting. He was obeying. And Rebekah, the mom, spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak to Esau, thy brother, saying, and she tells him what dad just said. He's going to give him the blessing. Go now and to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids. So she's like, while he's out deer hunting, Jacob, you run out to the flock and you get a couple of young goats and you bring them in here and we'll cook them up and we'll make it taste like deer, like that meat that dad likes so much and we're going to trick him while your brother's out there hunting because it's going to take him a while to find a good deer. So we got time to get this done. Verse 11 says that, And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. <laughs> yes, yes, j- yes, I know, I know, I know. Okay, um, but I got a plan for that. And so she's like, what we're going to do is take the goat skin. We're going to wrap it around your arms. We're going to trick your dad. You're going to go up, and he's going to feel. And so what ends up happening, I'll just tell you the story instead of reading the whole thing because it goes on for a while. But what ends up happening is he does what she says. He goes and gets a couple of goats. He brings them in the house. They cook them up. They make it taste like the deer that his dad loves. He goes in, and, and the dad says, who is that? And Jacob's like, it's me, Esau. And he's like, you don't sound like Esau. My, what big teeth you have. It sounds kind of like a, uh, he's like, you don't sound like Esau. And he's like, mom, what do we do? Show him the goat hair. So Jacob comes over and he's like nervous that dad's going to catch him in this lie. And he sticks out his arm and he's got goat hair wrapped around it. And the dad reaches up and he pets the goat hair on the arm. It's a weird story. Okay. The dad reaches up and he pets the goat hair on the arm and he says, Oh, it is you, Esau. How hairy was this guy? Anybody ever petted a goat? <laughs> you ever felt of a goat or smelled a goat? So dad feels the goat hair. Says, oh, yep, that's him. That's you. All right, I'm going to bless you. So he pours out the blessing. This is what you get, and you get to rule everything, and you get this land and these herds and the land that God has promised to Abraham and all our descendants all the way. And he's just going through this blessing and just pretty much giving it all to him. I almost wonder if he's like making up for the birthright that this dude lost because he thinks it's Esau. And then Esau shows back up in the house just as dad's getting done giving the birthright to Jacob. Jacob's sitting there with like goat hair on his arms and his big burly brother comes walking in the door and he's like, Hey dad, I got the deer. It's my time. What? I want you to put yourself in that situation today. Put yourself in that story as Esau. 
Because we all like to say, Jacob's the hero and Esau's a dummy. Well, he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was out hunting. He, he caught a deer. He came back. He was about to cook it for his dad. And then he walked in and somebody else got what he deserved. Again. And this time it wasn't even because of his stupid decision. He, it wasn't even his fault. He worked hard. He did what he was supposed to do. He... He started crying, screaming out to his dad. Verse 38 tells us, And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Hey, you got anything left? Means you give it all to him? I did what you said. Man, he already took the blessing from God, and now he took the blessing from you. Is there one blessing left? Is there anything left? Or am I just doomed? Should I just go crawl under a rock somewhere and die? Is there even a point? I'm the oldest, but he has the blessing of the oldest. I'm supposed to be the ruler, but he's in charge. He tricked me. He lied. I'm sorry I failed you, Dad. He said, is there one blessing, my father? Bless me, please. Anything. Even me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. And Isaac his father answered and he said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven. What? From above... And by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother. This That doesn't sound good. I ask if you had any blessings left. This isn't good stuff, Dad. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. None of that sounds good. It doesn't sound like there were any blessings left. Sounds like little bro already got it all. But that word, dominion, thou shalt have the dominion. It shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion. That word dominion, it was used two times before this. It was translated dominion, but it was a different word. Like earlier in Genesis 1 where God said you can have dominion over the animals and stuff to Adam. This, this was a different word that was translated here. Um, and it's a Hebrew word and it means to grow restless, to mourn, to roam. And I started looking at that and I was reading it like, wait a minute. He was begging him for one more. And then as I read it in a couple of different translations, I'm going to read it to you in a couple of different translations just to kind of get you the idea of what we're talking about. The, the Amplified Bible says it like this, verse 40. But you shall live by your sword and serve your brother. However, it shall come to pass when you break loose from your anger and hatred that you will tear his yoke off your neck. And you will be free from him. 
New Living Translation says it this way. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. When you decide, you'll shake off the yoke. You won't be yoked to him anymore. You won't be a slave to him anymore. When you decide. So imagine that feeling that Esau had when he walked into the house and Jacob was getting the blessing. You know that feeling. I was doing what I was supposed to do and I lost. Man, I've been working my butt off in this job. I've been working hard and that dude just came in and got the promotion. Right? I mean, we've been trying to have a baby for the last 10 years and, and those people didn't even want a baby and they accidentally go, oh, guess what? We got pregnant again. You ever felt like Esau? Like it? Why? I've been doing everything I was supposed to do. Why don't I get the blessing? Why don't I get the promotion? Why don't I get the raise? Why am I in this situation, man? I've been practicing my guitar. Man, I sing as loud as I can every work day, every time I get around them. And, and so-and-so just got put on the worship team. And I got passed up again. I mean, you can fill it in with all different kind of blanks, but I think we know how he feels. You can live there in that place that that's who you are and that you're passed over and that you're overlooked, that you've been cheated or you've been abused, and you can let that be who you are. You can identify with a group of people that have also gotten the short end of the stick. And that can be you. And that can be what you are. But when you decide, you will break his yoke from your neck. As scripture says. When you decide, no. No, that's not me. I am the firstborn. It's in your mind. I'm going to make a decision. No, no, no. When you decide, and we can go look at the story, and Esau, he did pretty good. He had plenty of stuff, and, and later in life when they came to meet, Jacob's like worried Esau's going to kill him, and Jacob's sending all kind of gifts in front of him, and he's sending all this stuff like, please don't kill me, don't kill me. And Esau came to him, and he hugged him, and he's like, hey, look, I, I let that go. I'm not even worried about it. He hugged him, and Jacob's like, well, I'll give you all these presents and stuff here. It's all, and he's like, man, I don't need your stuff. I'm doing fine. I got my own stuff. I'll be in relationship with you because I forgive you and you're my brother, but I'm cool. You know why? Because he decided to move on past that point. He got dealt the short end of the stick. He got, yeah, the odds were stacked against him. Yeah, he lost the blessing from God and he lost the blessing from men or from his father. But his blessing was when you decide... To move on, you can move on. 
you don't have to be under that yoke. You don't have to be linked up to him anymore. The reason I know he decided to move on was because he was able to embrace his brother. See, right after it happened, if you go on and read the rest of the story, he was mad. He wanted to kill him, and Jacob had to run and hide and all that. But then at some point, we don't know exactly when, he decided, that's not me, I'm moving on. When you decide, or like the Amplified Bible said, when, when you break loose, from your anger and hatred. If we aren't careful, our identity and our worth is found in what we do instead of who we are. And here's what we'll do. We chase our purpose rather than our identity. Your identity in Christ, it's in Christ. And if you find your identity in Christ, then you can live in purpose. You can't blame it on your past. You can't blame it on your family that you're not what you should be. You're not who you should be. You, it's easy to blame it on the past because we all probably got something in our past we could point out and say, that's why I'm not what I should be. That's why I have insecurities. That's why I'm addicted. That's why, because I got hurt. Or that's, we all have things we can point at in our past. Fear. Fear will keep you from being who you're meant to be. I'm going to wrap it up. Revelation 1 8. Uh, Right at the start of Revelation, God's, God's given John a revelation of heaven. And right at the start in verse 8, he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, said the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. All right, now look at one seventeen. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, and I'm the last. He said, Don't fear, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because I'm the first and I'm the last. There's two main fears that we deal with. There's two fears that will stop you from living right now from knowing your true identity, from, from walking in that, from being the sons and daughters that we're called to be. One is the regret from the past. Things that either you did in the past or things that were done to you in the past or things that you wish you could go back and change in the past. That's why God said, I'm the first and the last. I, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I was there in the past. I got that. I've taken care of that. The cross was there for that. I got that. The second one that we get scared of or that paralyzes us is the fear of the future. What could happen in the future? Well, what if I make the wrong decision right now? Or 
What if I do the wrong thing here? What if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if they fear the future? And he's like, fear not. God's saying, fear not. I was there back then, and I'm going to be there in the future, and I'm there now. In other words, stop focusing on the things that you're afraid of, whatever they may be, and focus on me. If you would look at me, I'm here. I'm there. I'm in the future. I'm going to be there. I'm not going anywhere. Look at me because I know you better than you know yourself. 1 John 3, 20. Last verse. For if our heart condemn us, that word condemn, it's only used two times in the Bible. And it's right here in verse 20 and verse 21 of 1 John 3. Um, It means blamed, condemned, to be in the wrong or to convict. For if our heart convicts us, if our heart blames us for anything, God is greater than our heart. And he knoweth all things. God is greater than your heart. That word heart, it's your core, your center, your mind, your emotions, your feelings. So, God's greater than your feelings. God's bigger than your feelings. God knows you. Even if your heart condemns you, God knows more than your heart. God knows more than your feelings. God knows more than your anger. If you look to Him. You know what the worst advice you could possibly give somebody is? Follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart, please. Please don't follow your heart. They make movies about that. It's not cool in real life. Don't do it. Follow God. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. It'll trick you. It'll make you think you're about to die just because you want some beans. Don't follow your heart. Look at God. I've told you guys that I told you all the story a long time ago. A lot of you may not have heard it, but um, we were sitting on the couch watching that watching this reality show about people that travel all over the U.S. looking for a Bigfoot, and they make a show out of it. And uh, they go around, and they talk to the people that have seen them. There's different sightings, and, oh, I saw Bigfoot on that ridge over there, and they take all these interviews and stuff. And so the the Bigfoot, Bigfoot experts, they come on there, and they talk about, well, this one was a fake because we know that we found a fake piece of hair here and this footprint is well this one was real and we're sitting there watching it it's kind of a joke and this was a few years ago so sky was pretty young i don't y'all remember how old sky was maybe some somewhere in there so sky's pretty young he's sitting right beside me on the couch and the guy comes on there and they're interviewing this guy and said so you saw the bigfoot on the ridge he said yeah and they said can you show us what, what did he do? And he said, he went up to that little pine tree over there, and he grabbed hold of that pine tree. And they said, well, can you show us exactly how he grabbed onto the pine tree? And so the eyewitness went over and said, well, he grabbed onto the pine tree like this. And they said, 
are you sure? They said, yeah. Why? He said, because if a human grabs a tree that size, every human will grab it with their hand, with their thumb around it. But a Bigfoot would grab it how you described, with their thumb that way. And I'm like, oh, my God, we got to find something else to watch. Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head. Let me change the channel, like, looking, right? I look down and see sheer terror on Sky's face as he's sitting there doing his hand like this. And I'm like, what's wrong with him? He looks up at me, and he says, Dad, Dad. I'm like, what, dude? I grab trees like this. And he was genuinely worried and upset because he grabs trees like a Bigfoot. And I looked in his eyes and I said, Sky, you're my son. You were created from me. You are not a Bigfoot. You are human. And I see great things in you. And you know what? Peace washed over him. He calmed down. (sighs) Face went back to normal. All right, let's watch SpongeBob. Whatever, like, back to life. Change the channel. Who cares? It's over. That was an issue. It came up. What did he do? He looked into the face of his father. Because I know him even more than he knows himself. I was here before he was here. I'm bigger than him. I'm stronger than him. I'm smart. I used to be smarter than him. Now he's in fifth grade. So I'm bigger than him. I'm stronger than him. (laughs) I was here before he was here. So when he had a great moment of doubt and he didn't know who he was, he didn't even know what he was. All it took was looking into the face of his father to reassure him. Because my eyes are stronger than his heart. I know him. God is stronger than your heart. Even if your heart tells you you are something you're not. Even that scripture just told us, even if your heart condemns you, even if your heart says you're a Bigfoot, Even if your heart says you lost the blessing from God, you lost the blessing from your dad, you lost your inheritance, you lost everything, it's over for you. When you decide, you can move on. When you look into the face of your father and see how much he loves you, and in the times you don't feel like it, keep doing what you know to do, keep stepping. That's obedience. You don't always feel it. I'll close with this thought. There was a lion tamer in Russia, and uh, he used to have this famous act, and they would travel all around Russia, and he would come into the middle of this big, giant wire cage, and he would come in with a stool and a whip, and that was all he had. And he would stand in the middle of the cage, and he would signal... And they would open up the door, and five lions would come in. And they would come in, and they would run around the cage and just going crazy. And he would be constantly popping that whip with one hand, and he was shaking that stool with the other hand. 
And with a stool, you've seen the old lion tamers, how, how they would do it. What, when they would hold the stool like this, the lions are trying to pick something to focus on. So by having the four points on the bottom of the stool, the lion's eyes are moving around to the, to the stool, and they can't focus on one thing, so they won't attack. So as long as he's moving that stool around and he's popping that whip, it's making the loud noise, they're scared of the whip, he can keep them from attacking him and killing him. So people are freaking out, and about three minutes into the act, it was planned, but a lot of people in the crowd didn't know it was planned. The place would go completely dark. They'd shut out every single light with him standing in the middle of that cage with the lines around, and they could hear him still yelling and popping that whip. Hey, ha, 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 pa, 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 whip popping. So people in the crowd are screaming, oh, my God. Well, after about 30 seconds of the light being off, they'd turn it on. The lines would be moved to all different spots in the, in the cage, completely surrounding this guy, and he's in the middle of them spinning around, popping that whip and waving that stool. And it was this great act. And, and so an interviewer asked him afterwards, hey, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know it's been proven that lions can see in the dark. So when those lights go out, you're human and you can't see those lions. You don't know where they are. They're moving around. They could get on their bellies and crawl right up there and bite you. You don't even see. I mean, your whip's up here. How do you do that you know they can still see you and the lights go out he said it's simple i just keep doing in the dark what i was doing in the light just because i can't see my opponent my obstacle the lions the circumstances the what just because i can't see it that doesn't mean i change what i'm doing i don't ball up in the corner and start crying I just keep doing what I was doing before. That's what we got to do. Because there's going to be moments in life when it's dark. There's going to be moments in life when I don't understand why there's an aardvark behind me. Whatever that is. (laughs) Oh, I know what it is. Joe does too. (laughs) Just thought about that. It's a bad speaker wire. (laughs) There are moments in life when things go dark, when the lights go out, when you can't see, and you have to just keep doing what you know to do. Keep doing what you've been told to do. You keep walking. You keep looking for his face. You don't go with your feelings. You don't go with your fear because if you're led by fear, you'll die. If you're led by fear, you'll choose death. Choose life. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for speaking to us. God, thank you that you know us better than we know us. Help us to look for you, look to you for our identity. Not to other people and not to the stuff that we've been through, or, but that we would look to you. God, help us not to trust our feelings or even our heart before we check it with you. God, we love you. Thanks for making a way for us to be part of your family. God, remind us, remind every person under the sound of my voice that they are a son and a daughter of the King. 
that they have a place in your family. In Jesus' name, amen.